Hello everyone and welcome along to the latest instalment of the Sport Huddle brought to you by Leeds Hospital Radio Sports Team. My name's Ian Marsden and tonight we're joined by Jim Walker and Tony Chalk. We'll be chatting cricket, we'll be chatting the Ashes and we'll be chatting the latest bit of Yorkshire um, plus the uh, new ECIC report. Um, It was a lot of letters. Um, uh, regarding discrimination in cricket. Um, and we'll also have our sporting moment of the week as well. So uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, Jim, first, uh, we'll go back to the first test uh, of the Ashes. Um, absolutely fantastic game. We went down to the wire. Um, but Australia, um, pulled through, um, in the end. But, um, what are your overall thoughts on that? Well, as I, as I said last weekend, I think the tie would have been a fair result. I thought both sides did well. Uh, I thought it was a lovely game of cricket. Uh, I thought to the neutral, I do know a few neutrals that don't really follow the game. They even thought it was enthralling. Um, I thought it was played in good spirit. Uh, I thought there were some good performances. Um, and I think it was disappointing from England's point of view that they didn't uh, get over the line. But as I'd said two weeks ago, the key to this was taking 20 wickets and in the end they couldn't take 20 wickets and um, the fact they only at the end in effect had three bowlers because Moen Ali wasn't bowling Ben Stokes clearly wasn't fit to bowl properly um, uh, in the end just cost them and uh, they, yeah. you know, with, a, with a new ball they should have been able to have got number 10 out uh, on the last day in the test match uh, I think you should be able to get numbers 10 and 11 out when the other side still needs 60 to win when he comes in. But there again, they didn't. But it was a cracking game of cricket. It set the series up. Um, And um, uh, if every game's as good as that, and I think it will put a lot of interest into cricket, uh, and a lot more people will uh, will want to follow it and want to get involved with it. Yeah, it's a pity that it's not on terrestrial TV where more people can watch it rather than being behind the um, paywall of Sky. Tony, after that first test, um, England um, picked a, the spinner from uh, Leicestershire, wasn't it? The one me and Jim were chatting about last week. Um, but I've decided not to play him. Um, and I've gone uh, basically with four seam attack with Joe Root as the part-time uh, spin bowler. Um, before we talk about the actual test m- match so far, what were your thoughts on, on that team selection? Um, I, I wasn't madly keen um, for the simple reason that, that they essentially went into the test. You include Ben Stokes, who may or may not be able to bowl a bit, uh, with five right arm, fast, medium seam bowlers. Um, OK, Tong's got a bit more pace than the others, but um, it, it just looks a bit too samey. I mean, if one of them had been left arm... Uh, something like that. It would it would have added a bit of variety. That being said, I wasn't sorry that Moeen Ali didn't play because I can't believe his fingers healed up and would have got him through another test match without further problems erupting there. So um, I didn't think, though, that they were ever going to play Rian Ahmed, especially not at Lords. I mean, it's not known as a spinning pitch. You don't no. often get test matches won by spinners there. Um, so, uh, I, I, I can see why they did it. Um, I, I mean, I'm a bit of a fan of Richard Dawson, actually. I, I think I would have liked to have seen him brought in the Hampshire. Liam Dawson. Armour. 
Uh, sorry, yeah, uh, they, uh, yeah, I'm thinking the Yorkshire player, um, uh, the, the the old um, uh, Yorkshire spinner of years ago. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen him in because uh, I, I think he's a decent bowler. He certainly um, can bat, more than useful batsman, um, and uh, he, he would have been the left arm option that they had with Leach as well. And he's certainly the sort of bowler that can sort of block up an end for you. Uh, so I was a, a bit disappointed that they seemed to have um, discounted him. But uh, they went with what they went with. Um, and really, uh, <laughs> when they got there uh, on the first day uh, and won the toss, uh, they must have thought they were in clover, really, with all those seamers and the conditions as they were. But it didn't quite work out like that, unfortunately. No, it didn't. Um, Jim? Um, we'll start with uh, we're gonna, we'll talk about the test so far at the time of recording this. Uh, we are at the end of day two. Um, England are um, uh, two hundred and something four. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. I should do my research. Um, I've been sat watching it all day and all. Um, but um, yeah, it was uh, a bit of a mad seven overs that lost. Um, three quick wickets really and uh, it actually took Ben Stokes to calm things down um, but overall thoughts on, on, on day one and day two Jim well day day one uh, should have done better um, I thought I mean I didn't watch it all from the bits I watched I thought they bowled fairly well obviously everybody mm. else seemed to think they didn't bowl fairly well um, and the scoreboard would suggest but all credit to Steve Smith and to a lesser extent David Warner and Travis Head uh, I thought they batted very well um, and um, a lot of balls went past the bat could have got an edge but didn't so end of the day not very good from England's point of view today different story five wickets before lunch uh, bowled well uh, a bit of luck um, and managed to get them out for 4-16 uh, then came out to bat uh, I thought Crawley and Duckett did exceptionally well. Um, I thought they played really, really well. Um, and um, uh, Smart Stumping got rid of Crawley off one that seemed seemed to turn phenomenally. I didn't quite understand how the ball ended up where it did. And all credit to, to Carey for grabbing it there because uh, um, it was so wide a leg stump by the time it passed him um, that uh, to get his hands on to it was uh, I thought a remarkable achievement um, but then um, England I thought lost their way a bit because um, they saw Nathan Lyon go off now I cannot imagine if you'd have offered them um, three wishes out of Aladdin's lamp um, as to what they would have liked to have seen Lyon going off injured would have been pretty well up there um, Green is also apparently struggling so they are now down to a number of um, uh, they're down to the, to the quick bowlers having to bowl a lot of overs so it cried out for tiring the quick bowlers out and exercising a wee bit of caution but what we have is they go to plan B which is banging in half trackers and lo and behold we say oh thanks very much for doing that we'll give the fielders on the boundary some catching practice um, and so that's exactly what we did so poor Duckett and I felt really sorry for because he batted really, really well. Gets out for 98. And then Harry Brook comes in. And goodness me, um, how he managed to survive, I do not know. He could easily have been out 
Well, I saw him. I saw. I didn't watch it for that long, but I, it could have been out three times in the twenty minutes I was watching it. Um, and uh, I think he just somebody needs to have a word with Harry Brook. I mean, quality though he is, he's got to learn to play the situation a wee bit. Um, and um, so, so the end at two seventy eight for four, which is, seems a good score, but two wickets early tomorrow means that they're six out, and at that point you're into Robinson, Broad, Anderson, and Tong. And the new ball is about to be taken. Um, so I think there's actually quite a lot of cricket left in this first innings yet. And I think an awful lot depends on um, uh, Stokes and Brook now and Bearstow. Because if they're not close, by the time two of those three are out, uh, I can easily see them falling short of the Australian first innings. And then I think they're in a bit of bother. Um, mm. because it gives Lyon chance to recover and gives uh, Green chance to recover. Um, and so this could be quite an exciting game towards the end, methinks. Uh, I hope the weather stays fine. Um, but I really do think that Stokes, Brook and Bairstow now have got to get them past the 4-16. Uh, and then I think it's advantage England. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um by the looks of things, it doesn't look like Nathan Lyon is going to make any kind of appearance for the rest of the test. Um, we believe his calf muscle has gone. Um, so, yeah, it will be a, a major miracle if he comes on the pitch again. Um, Trist, uh, Head and um, uh, Steve Smith both bowled uh, some spin as very part-time spin bowlers uh, today. Um, but, yeah, I think if Brooks... Um, Brooke and Stokes um, stay in, Tony, um, for at least the first session tomorrow, then um, you should be thinking that England will be there or thereabouts of where Australia finished. Well, they certainly need to be. I completely agree with Jim there. I, I mean, I thought uh, they, they were going, going along very smoothly. What was it, 180-odd for, for, for one? Uh, hardly a care in the world when, when uh, the Aussies turned to plan B. And it was pretty obvious. I mean, they start banging in in, in halfway down. Uh, there's th- three fielders on the leg side boundary. It's pretty obvious what they're, what they're trying to do. Uh, and, and the fact that three of them uh, got out that way. And I mean, uh, Joe Root was perhaps the most unforgivable of all because he'd already been uh, reprieved once when he was when he gloved a, an attempted hook behind off what proved to be a no ball by by Green. So yes. he'd had one yeah. uh, one one let off there, uh, and lo and behold, he does it again and 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 duck it on 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 ninety eight. I mean, surely on ninety eight, you, even if you're playing basketball, you've got to think. I've got to get these two runs, really. That's, you know, <laughs> this is Lords. This is Australia. This is a test match. There's an honours board in there. I quite like my name on it. Um, yeah. So I, I thought it was brainless, stupid, idiotic and ridiculous, to be honest, the way they played. And Harry Brook was lucky as well, because uh, not only, um, I mean, he had a big swipe um, at a slower ball from Green, which nearly bowled him. Uh, and he dropped by Labuschagne, of course, uh, pulling uh, towards the end as well. So, so he's very fortunate still to be there. Uh, and Stokes certainly provided the calm ahead at the end. And, and as Jim says, they, these two really do need to um, get them up, certainly at least to parity, because or these two plus Bearstow, uh, because another effect of bringing Josh Tong in and, and leaving Moeen out, of course, is that it has lengthened that tail with uh, Robinson presumably coming in at, at eight, who certainly can bat a bit. 
um, Stuart Broad, who might get 50 and might get naught, either <laughs> he'll do pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And then you've got um, uh, the, the two at the end, of course, who you probably wouldn't expect to, to, too many out of them. Um, so uh, there's not much to come. I mean, the last four in the order could easily go for 20 between them. Um, so it's yeah, it's crucial tomorrow morning that they they get up there and uh, but sensibly really because it's it's clearly now um, as long as the weather stays fair it's a good track there's not much in it for anybody at the moment and this is the time to bat and uh, it's a lot easier as they found out at Edgbaston it's a lot easier scoring runs in the first innings than the second generally in Test matches definitely um, the Test match at Lords continues um, we've um... We've got uh, the third test is at Headingley um, next week um, and it'll be on basically while we record this next week, if we manage to record this next week. Um, so we'll um, we'll keep it there. But yeah, um, England, uh, uh, yeah, could have been better, but are doing all right. Um, some good batting. Yeah, Ben Duckett was uh, I don't know what he was thinking. Um just so you know, at time of recording, Leeds are 16-0 up at Warrington. The, wine, the Rhinos are 16-0 up over the Warrington Wolves um, and halfway through the first half. So uh, that, that team's consistency really knows no bounds. Um, so we're going to talk Yorkshire, uh, speaking of Headingley. Hey, hey. Um, we'll... Um, We'll speak Yorkshire cricket and the ECB have um, fined the club £500,000. 350000 of that is suspended uh, for three years. Uh, 150000 of it is to be paid in instalments. That's from the BBC website. So if any of that is wrong, uh, that's where I've got my information from. Um, you two guys, um, cricket lovers, cricket fans... Jim, you're, you've been Yorkshire for a long time, and Tony, you're a Yorkshire member. Um, <laughs> where? <laughs> so, firstly, the fine, and then there's going to be more sanctions. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it, it is. Um, what's proposed is this five hundred thousand pound fine, three hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, suspended for three years, uh, the other 150 payable, I think, in instalments between January and June next year. Uh, and then a deduction, and all of these are in the 2023 season, the proposals are. Deduction of between 48 and 72 points in the championship, uh, four to six points in the T20, and four to six points uh, in the Royal London Cup. Um, that's the proposal. However, we won't know the outcome of the final deliberations on that for, I think, three to four weeks as to what they exactly decide to do. Um, I mean, before we comment on the merits or not of it, uh, it seems to me yet another example of the, the chaotic way that the ECB has, has handled this, that they are proposing a four to six point dedu deduction in the T20 Cup. Um, now, it looks as though Yorkshire, after really a couple of hopeless performances towards the end against Derbyshire and Northampton, have effectively played themselves out of, of the T20 with the uh, the washout at Durham at the weekend, really, that uh, that just about put the mockers on them. But they could still get through theoretically. Um, if they don't get through, any deduction is pretty irrelevant anyhow, of course. If they do get through and they'd have to beat Lancashire, uh, what what is, as we record 
Thursday, it's tomorrow evening at Old Trafford, which is pretty tall order, and then rely on other results going their way, like sort of Birmingham, I think, would have to beat Knots and things like that. Um, but if that did happen, let's say that did happen and Yorkshire got through to the quarterfinals, those are next week, which is before we hear about the sanction. Finals day, I think it's the 15th of July, which is before we hear about the sanction. So what happens if Yorkshire go through by some miracle, win the quarterfinal, get to finals day, get to the final and win it? And then they're told they got a four to six point deduction. Does that mean that it's then awarded to the runners up? Uh, what about the team that missed out that would have gone through? <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. And, and ridiculous. why on earth they can't make a decision now is beyond me. Or if that's going to be the case, give it next year. So you know where you're starting from. Not like you say, Yorkshire are more than you know, they could do. And if they do go on and win the cup and then are deducted four and six points from their T20 group, it just leaves the whole competition in a, a yeah, a complete shambles where if they say, right, we're not going to sanction you for 2023, these sanctions come in in 2024. I think that would be, and this is like not even thinking about the actual sanctions themselves. It just seems more the common sense way of doing it is forget this year, do it next year. So at least then you know where you're starting from, as does every other county as well know where we all stand with the whole thing because if they do it this summer now that it it just basically brings this whole summer of cricket into disrepute well I, i'm gonna let jim in on this and I, I think it'd be grossly unfair to put it into next season um because that would effectively um, uh, be handing them a double penalty because i mean they'd more or less be saying to them uh, well let's say they get promoted from the first division this year they'd be more or less saying well you're going to get relegated next year uh, if they don't get promoted, they'll be saying, well, we're not going to let you go up next year either. Um, so so I, I just think that would be totally disproportionate, given especially the fact that uh, the people, what they're, they're punishing the club, uh, but the club does not comprise the club that is being found guilty. Uh, all of those people who are found guilty are no longer there. So you're punishing yeah. a whole new lot of people. I could see yeah. some merit in doing it in the T20 because of the position we're in, where they can't make a decision in time. I could see I could see some sense in doing it in next year's T20, um, yeah. but they could do it in the Royal London Cup this year. There's no reason they can't do it this year in the Royal London Cup. Uh, but uh, it just shows to me that the absolute farce that the ECB has made of this, that, that this thing yeah. has been rumbling on for so long and they still haven't come up with a decision. Yorkshire this pleaded should've... guilty months ago. Yes. This should have been dealt with before this season even started. Absolutely. It really should have. Uh, Jim. Yes, I mean, I've not really got much more to add to what Tony said. I, I'm just reminded that many years ago I did French at A-level and one of the books that we did, I think was called Candide. And one of the famous bits in that is where Admiral Bing is, is gets shot. And the reason that Admiral Bing is shot is because they said we shot him so as to encourage the others. And I have a feeling that the sanctions on Yorkshire are more a signal to everybody else as much as they are to to Yorkshire. Um, what I do think um, is that this has been hanging over um, the club for so long now that the other problems that the club have, which are much more significant in terms of 
the financial issues and so on are bound to have been affected because if you're planning to put money into something and you don't know quite whether as soon as you've invested some money there's suddenly going to be a, a whacking great load of more money needed it's bound to affect what you decide now i'm told from a letter from the chief executive sent out or in a message that i saw that the club have actually now agreed a financial package with somebody somebody undisclosed but that financing is now in place so hopefully this person or persons um are aware that there might be another half a million coming down the track <coughs> or 150,000 that they need to put their hand in the pocket for um and i think the sooner that can be sorted out the better um they've got a new chairman now provided the members vote him in and with yorkshire you can never be sure of anything um but uh, on the assumption that the members do at least recognize that this person has got some business skills that might be useful to the club um uh they've got a chairman if they can get the finances sorted out they've got the finances sorted out but this is the last sort of legacy of this whole um uh, rafik affair um and um uh i'm just hoping that it can be just dealt with quickly now i mean as Tony says the length of time has just been absolutely ridiculous and uh, um and i think there's probably quite a lot of other counties who are thinking that there but for the will of god go i um, yeah absolutely uh, Jim. Uh, another another point to, to make really is that with this um, I mean, we've, we've talked about it a long time so we probably won't go into detail on the on the ec the report that the ecb received but given the report that the ecb received are they really in a position to hand out sanctions to Yorkshire, given that their position has been found to be even worse than Yorkshire's, from what it says in that report. Yeah, but they they've not been, as far as I was aware, I may be wrong on this, but you tell me if I am, but I didn't think any of the sanctions proposed in Cindy Butts' report actually referred to the ECB. They may not have done, Jim, but um, uh, the, the way that they described um, the the, the game in England, England and Wales, which is administered by the ECB. There's got to be, a, I, I'm not sure there are any sanctions in there as such. Anyhow, there are, is it 44 well, recommendations? recommendations. Yeah. 44 um, I, I mean, that you've got to, you've got to say that those are actually aimed at the ECB because after all, they run the game. Um, so you've, you, you've really got to turn around and say, well, get your own house in order. Um, well, so yeah. I, 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 I think, um, uh, the, 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 the sanctions on Yorkshire, um, that, it's, it comes back to what you say. I mean, it's like sort of kicking somebody when they're down, isn't it, really? And I'm not yeah. sure any sanctions that they impose are actually going to do anything positive. It's just like sort of giving somebody a flogging for the hell of it, really. Mm. I, yeah, I, I think in general it does seem harsh that it has been allowed to drag on this length of time. Um, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. And the report, which was from the ICEC, thank you, I got that right. Um, mm. It does give for you know 44 recommendations about what can be done to improve uh, the cricket in England and Wales, both at grassroots level and uh, the 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 the, pass, the password to professional cricket and 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 that and yeah, I mean that report's taken two years um, to write. Um, and 
from 4,000-ish people's um, summaries or, or, or evidence, if that's what you want to call it. Um, yeah, it it's a minefield. The one thing that has come out of it, I think, is one of the recommendations is that then there is an independent regulatory body, um, which is what football should be having and has been suggested for football. So stuff like, um, for example, where someone takes charge of Berry, runs them into the ground, runs them into liquidation, that shouldn't and wouldn't be allowed with an independent regulatory body. Um, I think that might be a good idea for all sports, actually. Um, but then they have to be independent and they have to be able to do their job because um, other regulatory bodies, I'm not getting political right now, um, aren't doing their jobs as we speak. So um, it, it, it does depend on on who it is and, and that. And it's just, it, it beggars belief. It's a crazy situation. It really is. I just hope it gets sorted and the sanctions aren't, as severe as they appear to be um, and are not given willy-nilly like halfway through the season, you know? It, it, mm, it mm, just makes no mm. sense at all. Yeah, it, it's been very badly handled by everybody, really, by Yorkshire initially, by Lord Patel subsequently, by the uh, by the ECB, um, mm. by the disgraceful cultural affairs subcommittee in parliament um the, the whole thing has just been uh an appalling dreadful mess yeah. um and and you know the, the sooner we can get on and move on from it the better i think all of us would obviously say any sort of discrimination should not be tolerated um and that perhaps was the fault that that that, that grew up in the first place but i suspect there were many dressing rooms around the country in which this sort of language was regularly used and wasn't thought much of um and really people in authority should have thought in today's climate some of that's not acceptable so just calm it down guys and maybe none of this would ever ever isn't if somebody had said that years ago yeah yeah um how it was uh, yeah i mean we could carry on and um we might even get ourselves into trouble for saying something that we might regret later so um we will leave that there thank you guys for that um we're going to try and end on a on a bit of light relief um the um firstly uh the tour de france starts on saturday one of the great sporting um events of each and every year it starts in bilbao um, on Saturday and it's, it's the first stage is a proper mountain stage as well for like it's it's gonna definitely uh, sort out the challenges straight away um um are you two cycling fans I think you are mm. aren't you and are you looking yeah. forward to uh looking forward to it this year absolutely Jim? absolutely yes. um, who do you think's I, gonna win um I think that's a good question um I think, well, um, let's have a look at the course to start with. I mean, this is 2,127 miles. There's eight flat stages, which is probably more than you normally get. Uh, there are four hilly stages. Well, that's, that's about right. There's only one time trial. I think that's yes. significant mm. because um, there's no doubt that Pogaccia in a time trial um, is going to be better than Vingegaard would be. 
um, and there are eight mounting stages. Um, if you'd have asked me six months ago, I would have said Pogaccio would have won. He looked at his early season form. Uh, he'd won a stack of races. He'd been been the guard. And then, of course, he broke his wrist. Uh, and since then, he's only had two days of actual racing. And that was last week when he won the time trial and the Slovenian um, road race. Mm. So um, is he undercooked, you would think? Well, who knows? But you're bound to think that somebody who's not been actually uh, racing, uh, as opposed to just being on their training bike, is bound to be somewhat undercooked. So if I was Jumbo Visma and Vindegaard's team, um, I think I would go very hard very early on to try and tire Pogaccia at the start um, and to try and get a, a heads up on him early on. Um, I think Pogaccia will get stronger and stronger the longer the race goes on. Yeah. But, if, but what I would be trying to do would be to put him so far behind after week one or halfway into week two that they actually wouldn't be able to catch up. Um, uh, whether that's how it would pan out, who knows? That's the beauty of the race. I mean, with the Tour de France, it's often the case that there is an almighty pile-up in an early stage, which takes out half of the GC contenders anyway. Um, <laughs> so who who knows? Um, uh, it Clearly, on paper, it's between Vingard um, and uh, Pogaccia. Yeah. Um, so I would tend to favour Vingegaard simply because when I've watched him over the last few weeks, he has looked very composed um, and he has looked very, very strong um, and has been riding away from people for fun. Um, but it is a three-week race and that's different to a five-day race or a six-day race. Um, mm. And quite often people come stronger towards the end and can make up quite a lot of ground. Um uh, so that's, that, that would be it in a, in a nutshell for me. Clearly, yep. the, the attention is going to be on Mark Cavendish um, seeking this 35th win. which was Has he been picked? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He's in the Astana Kazakhstan team. Brilliant. Um, and they've actually given him a team, a team around him, um, of people who are not a bad uh, lead-out train. I mean, one of his problems this year um, has been that... Um, He's had no lead out, um, uh, but they've given him uh, Moscon, uh, they've given him Case Bowl, they've given him David de la Cruz, Luis Luis Sanchez is in there. So he has got a chance, uh, and also more significantly, I think, um, in in one of the other teams, uh, in the uh, uh, Lotto Sudal team, which is the one with Jakobsen in, um, mm. Michael Morkov is in that squad. Um, and he will be leading out Jakobsen. Now, if Cavendish, who is very good at picking the wheel to ride on, if he can actually tag himself on to Morkov's wheel, um, I think that he has got a chance because it showed in the um, 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 uh, in, in the uh, Giro. Um, in the Giro that when yeah. he has a lead out, um, he uh, he can uh, be. Uh, uh, be quite uh, quite substantially effective. So, Absolutely. So, so that's that's that, that's where I am. But, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm relishing it, and I think it'll be good. As am I. I've got my uh, my program sat here with me um, as I look at all the stages and all the teams. Brilliant. 
one of my favourite sporting moments of the year each year. Um, Tony, um, you come see, come start over cycling, but I know you're a tennis man. I know you're a tennis man. And Wimbledon starts on Monday. Um, it starts a bit later because it usually is the last week of June, first week of July, but it's starting in the first week of July. Um, early thoughts on uh, the um, on Wimbledon on the men's and the women's game. Yeah, um, it, it it actually moved a, a few a few years ago. Actually, they, they moved it back deliberately, moved it back a week uh, to allow because I think the French Open had moved slightly as well, and to allow more time uh, in the grass court season after the finish of the clay court season for the build up to Wimbledon. That's why they did it. Um, so, so it is it is, it, it is now first couple of weeks in July typically. Um, yeah, I think everybody always looks forward to it. Let's hope we get some good weather, uh, for one thing. Um, and it'd be interesting to see, um, obviously how the Brits get on. Uh, no, Emma Raducanu, obviously she's, she's, uh, injured, but, uh, there'll be people like Katie Bolter, Harriet Dart in the women's, uh, Andy Murray, of course, uh, wonder how he'll get on. He, he was hoping he'd have had to, I think, get to the quarterfinals at Queen's to get to high enough in the rankings to be seeded, uh, but he didn't manage that, so he, he's unseeded. I think the draw's made tomorrow, so we'll find out tomorrow who he's drawn, but of course he could get a big gun in the first round. Um, yeah, as far as the, the outcome of the tournament's concerned, well, um, I, I suppose on the men's side, uh, you've got to say that Novak Djokovic is going to be the favourite. Uh, that being said, Carlos Alcaraz did extremely well at Queen's, uh, winning his first title on grass. He, he looked uh, very impressive uh, and beat Alex de Menor, who, who is a good grass court player, uh, in the final. Uh, and and um, I thought uh, looked really good. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how he goes, because, of course, he's a brought up on clay, um, as, as was um, uh, Rafael Nadal. Uh, and it took Nadal two or three years on grass to really get to terms with it. The first time he got to the final against Roger Federer, uh, he got wiped out um, in straight sets. Uh, and then the next year, he took it, I think, to five sets. And it was the, th- the third time they met that, that uh, Nadal actually beat Federer in that classic final in 2008 or nine. I can't just remember now. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if, uh, if Alcaraz does well this year, then he obviously is adapted to grass quicker. Um, I think, you know, uh, the popular feeling will be behind him. I mean, Novak Djokovic has never been especially a crowd favourite at Wimbledon, I think it's fair to say. A lot of people didn't forgive him for beating Roger Federer in 2019. Um, so uh, I, I, it's difficult to see past those two, actually. Uh, I, th- I think, um, I mean, obviously, obviously there'll be a few, few of the sort of highest-seeded players like Rublev and Tsitsipas, who, who will be there or thereabouts. But it's difficult to see them beating either of the others. The women's, I think, is wide open. Um, uh, Obviously, Rebekina won it last year. She sort of came from nowhere. I think she'll do well this year. I don't see why she wouldn't. Uh, Iga Swiatek, uh, who's the top-ranked player, Polish girl, won the French Open. She's clearly a very good player. Uh, never done that well at Wimbledon. See how she does. What about Ons Jabor, who got to the final last year from, from Tunisia, the first ever African, uh, North African player to, to, to get to the final? Um, so it, it, it's, I think it's fairly wide open. Um, Ostapenko, I see, won a title, I think, last week as well. So she may be coming back into form. Uh, Sabalenka as well, the Belarusian, she, she's 
big serve, big game. She could cause problems. But I wouldn't really like to tip anybody in the women's. I think it's very wide open uh, in, yeah. in the women's this year. It is. Um, looking forward to it. Always that first day as well. It's amazing. The TV coverage starts at 11 and you get all the all the sunshine, hopefully. Um, and, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And hopefully Andy Murray can can go quite deep. Second week would be an achievement, mm, I think. It would be great Andy if he could, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, for this year. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, right, uh, we'll finish on our sporting moment of the week. Um, have you fished one out, uh, Jim? Yes, Ian. Um, slightly unusual, this one, I suppose, but every so often you come across a story which just reminds you of the value of sport um, in life, really. Um, and I came across this story, it was in the Sunday Times last Sunday, and it, it concerns a chap called Jonathan Mills. Uh, and Jonathan Mills scored a century last weekend um, for his team, Brookweald, who were playing against Woodham Mortimer. Now, that doesn't mean anything to most of us. These teams are in Essex. Um, but the thing about Jonathan Mills was... Um, that days earlier he'd been told he had only a few months to live. His stage four bowel okay. cancer, he'd been fighting since January, spread to his stomach and his lungs and the chemo hadn't worked. So um, he, he decided that rather not for more palliative chemo, he decided to live his final months as freely as possible. So he contacted his, his cricket club um, and he's been a sportsman all his, all his life. Um, and Brookweald were delighted to give him, welcome him back for his first game of the season. So they put him in, his, in the second team for this match against uh, Woodham Mortimer. He scored 110 off 123 balls with 21 boundaries. Um, and his team won by one run. Oh. Uh, and that, for me, um, says it all, really, about... Uh, about cricket, he, he got out on, on 110 because he, he couldn't run anymore um, and he was just trying to hit boundaries um, and he cursed his partner when he had to run two twos off consecutive balls. Um, but um, uh, there are a lot of things I could have picked this week, but I just thought that that one just sort of touched a nerve, really. And yeah. uh, it reminded us what, what sport can do for people in circumstances which are not of their choosing. Um, and so that's that's why I thought I would share it. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, sorry, I've got some dust in my eye at the moment. Hold on. That was no, honestly, that's just terminal cancer. And then he goes and plays cricket and scores a century. Anyway, Tony, go on. Top that. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, well, I'm going to cheat in and, and, and mention a, a couple of things first, which. Uh, uh, probably ought to be mentioned in passing um one is um a sad one the the passing of the of the great uh, bev risman um former so, leeds uh, and lee rugby league player and england rugby union international of course uh, and indeed england rugby league international great britain rugby league international i think he captained great britain at the 1968 world cup from memory um one of the great sportsmen of the game i don't think he was ever warned or uh, sent off or uh, 
well, they didn't. They used to book them in those days. I don't think they didn't give them yellow cards. Um, yeah. uh, one of the the gentlemen of the game. Um, he started off his rugby league career uh, at Lee. They signed him, and he played at, uh, there at Standoff, where he'd been a fly half in rugby union. And um, when he moved to Leeds, um, they, they moved him to full back, and uh, he, he was hugely successful. He was in the 1968. Challenge Cup winning team, of course, the water splash final kicked four goals in that. Um, and uh, the following year, uh, now I didn't see this, but um, an uncle of mine described it to me once when they played uh, Castleford in the championship final at Odsall. Castleford were leading, I think, 14-11 uh, going into the last couple of minutes of the game. And uh, my uncle described it as uh, Risman putting through uh, a, a grubber kick for John Atkinson to run onto and score, which was like a piece of precision engineering. So so accurate was it. Uh, and Atkinson scored the try, which levelled it, and then Resmond kicked the goal, which won the championship for Leeds. So uh, a great man uh, in both codes of rugby, and, and uh, of course son of the uh, the, the, the late Gus Risman, uh, also a legendary player. Um, uh, and uh, he'll be sadly missed. He was 85. Um, on a more cheerful note, uh, uh, just a quick one before I come to what I really want to mention, uh, which is uh, it was great to see three young Yorkshire players uh, all scoring hundreds in the championship match against uh, Gloucestershire this week. Uh, Finn Bean, George Hill and Matt Revis. And it was his first uh, first class hundred. And that, that, that was very pleasing. But the, the moment of the week comes back to tennis again. And that's the trophy, uh, the championships at Ilkley, which seem to go from strength to strength. They finished last Sunday. Uh, and they really are attracting some decent players now. Uh, D- D- David Goffin, probably remember him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Formerly, I think he was number seven in the world, played in that Davis Cup final when Andy Murray won, beat him in the last match to win the Davis Cup for Great Britain oh. in 2015, was it? Uh, he, he was amongst the, uh, the, the starters there this week. Um, the two winners, uh, Sweden's Miriam Bjorklund, who, who I, I don't know, but we'll see how she goes because I think she's got into Wimbledon with that. Uh, and the Australian who won it, Jason Kubler, uh, he's uh, probably actually better known as a doubles player uh, because he won the mixed doubles in the Australian Open with Nick Kyrgios this year. Um, oh, wow. But he, he went he went well as a singles player and won it uh, at Ilkley. But they got big crowds. The tournament was a great success. They go from strength to strength and more power to their arm. Brilliant. I didn't even realise there was a tennis tournament in Ilkley. So um, oh, yes. you've opened my eyes. Oh, I'll have to look for that next year. Um Oh, honestly, we know too many people in Ilkley. <laughs> so we'll, um, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that. Thank you so much, Jim and to Tony, for this week. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to chat with you. Um, we're not sure whether we'll have an episode next week, what with the test match being on at Headingley, but we'll uh, we'll hopefully have one. Um, but hopefully you lot can get well soon, get out of hospital. And uh, time of recording, it's half time. It's Warrington nil. Leeds Rhino 16 and uh, so I hope that sends you um, to bed happy even though you'll probably know the full time score before us when you're <laughs> listening to this so yes I'm going to stop getting myself into such a circle I'm going to say goodbye goodbye <laughs>